for this evening's preaching portion or devotion from Scripture. I have selected Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, and as it would have it, we've heard portions and parts of this passage, or much of it, already through this evening's service, including the song we just sung, Angels We Have Heard on High. If you'd like to, I would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles, either on your phone or there, I think we have few Bibles in the, in the racks at your knees in front of you, or you may listen as I read God's Word from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. This is His inerrant, infallible, and inspired Word. Let's give our attention to it. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So far in God's word, let us pray. Father, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. So would you help me now as the preacher to explain it and all of us as hearers to hear it and to benefit from it for our edification, for the blessing of others in the world. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In the scripture portion, which I've chosen for my sermon tonight, the angel of the Lord appears to shepherds who apparently lived outside and guarded their sheep of necessity at night. They weren't on a farm, but they herded their sheep in the open common lands. We don't know who these men were. And once they leave our story, we never meet them again in the Bible. We do know that they were transformed by their encounter because of what they had seen and heard. And as proof, they went abroad publicly declaring the good news that had been announced to them that Jesus, the Savior and Messiah promised of Israel, was born. This is not a secret mystery religion. In telling this story, however, we do know that the shepherds play a crucial role. Luke is careful to emphasize their importance as characters around the cradle, which raises the question in my mind, Why would such a monumentally significant announcement such as this be entrusted 
to men like these? I'm going to attempt to answer that question this evening, tonight, in three ways. First of all, the angels appear to shepherds because they are lowly sinners. God chose to reveal this message to to the shepherds because they are lowly sinners. Now, I use the word sinners for a couple of reasons. In the years after the New Testament was written, toward the end of the first century, the rabbis described shepherds as sinners, quote-unquote, due to the unclean nature of their work in handling animals out of doors. Because of this, they could not observe the ceremonial law, and due to the wandering nature of their vocation, they were prohibited by Jewish interpretation of the law for standing up in court and giving testimony. So while these particular shepherds may have been devout men, as a class, they had a bad reputation. In a sense, we might consider them ethnic sinners. Apart from this, shepherds were certainly among the bluest of the blue-collar workers in the ancient world, so they were also something of a social sinner. You know what I mean by this. Not the important person in the crowd, not the go-to, not the leader, not the one who is sought out for money or advice or counsel, connections, reputation. They were on the margins of society, lowly people, unimportant, and possibly even disregarded by the rank and file. And these are the people, these are these sinners, the lowly sinners that the angel of the Lord appears to. Why? The text doesn't tell us explicitly, but it does fit the larger pattern we see in Luke's gospel. And that pattern is this. Jesus Christ came for sinners, not for righteous people. He came for the sick, not for the healthy. He came for the weak and not for the strong. And there's a tendency amongst the powerful and the elite, the noble, the upper class, the well-to-do, the financed, the well-heeled, to see an offer of salvation and to see a Savior and to disregard Him. And the reason this happens is because when God blesses a person with much wealth or much resource, there's a tendency to forget that we are creatures in absolute dependent need on our Creator. God appears rather in Luke's Gospel and in our story for tonight to sinful people, unimportant people, regular people, boring people, people of no account. But it turns out that these characters around the cradle, including the shepherds, either because of their encounter with God or by God's sovereign preparation of them, turns out they are also obedient people and humble people, reverent people. Which leads me to a second answer to the question, why did God appear to the shepherds? Not only because they're lowly sinners, but they are also chosen servants. The second reason the angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds is evident in the chorus of the company of of angels that are singing with the angel of the Lord. Listen again to what they say. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's Luke 2.14. Now, if you grew up with the King James, it reads a little differently here. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 
But because of the language, I find this is a little confusing. It's not clear in that version of the Bible where the peace comes from or who it's for. We are to understand the goodwill, which literally means favor or good pleasure, not as a human quality that generates peace. And in popular songs on the radio, it's, it's often the skeptic's job to highlight peace on earth as part of the Christmas story and make fun of the lack of peace on earth and who couldn't notice that if he just looks around. You see, this is a misunderstanding of the peace that's described in Luke chapter 2. The goodwill or good pleasure or favor in this text is the disposition of God towards an undeserving people. And so peace on earth means God has shown his favor to certain persons who don't deserve, in fact, have undeserved themselves from the very thing that he's giving them. The outcome or the goal of peace is not ultimately the cessation of conflict, though that will be a fruit of this, but it's a restoration or a reconciliation of the relationship between heaven and earth, God and man, the Holy One, and the sinful rebel. Christmas goodwill points out God's action towards sinning humans. And that's the message that the angels sang in the sky on this night when the shepherds were amazed. And they were the first ones to be entrusted with this good news. They were the chosen servants, which is my second point. The chosen servants of God's new age of mercy and grace, forgiveness and peace. Peace, the war between God and man, has ceased in the person of Jesus. You know, this makes sense, as I mentioned previously in my first point, with some of the stereotypes we have for the rich and the well-to-do. The powerful in the world have established their own reputations themselves and often don't give credit to God for it. And so, in such persons, there is no place to bear the victory message of a triumphant angel declaring that God is no longer angry with man. Salvation and deliverance for sin is not a message that's found on the self-reliant. And this is nothing new, by the way. This isn't just a modern problem. God chose Abel and not Cain. God chose Jacob, the trickster, and not Esau. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says that through Moses, no good quality could be found in Israel to warrant his choosing them as his chosen people. The only thing that commended them to him was his choice. It's a sovereign, mysterious, and loving choice. It was God's good pleasure. It's God's favor. It's God's goodwill. So God appears to the shepherds because they're lowly sinners and because they're chosen servants. Third and finally, he chose shepherds because they take care of sheep. I think there's a hint here of the theme in the Bible where we see God describing himself in human terms, a metaphor, if you will, as a shepherd and his people as sheep. The prophet Isaiah would say, all we like sheep have gone astray. And in the most famous poem of the Bible, I believe, Psalm 23, it begins... The Lord is my shepherd. 
But not only this, Israel's first king, Saul, was called to lead the people of Israel like a shepherd, and he failed. David was then anointed to succeed him as prince and shepherd over Israel. The prophets and priests likewise had shepherding duties, but since they did not do their job, they were cursed. Jeremiah 23, woe to the shepherds, he says, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. So then God promises to send another shepherd, one after his own heart, one who would never go astray or take his people astray. In fact, God himself promises to shepherd his people. And here we have in the Old Testament the emergence of the fact that the Messiah is the Lord, Christ the Lord. Well, we've seen this evening that the Lord chose to reveal the good news to these unusual characters around the cradle for at least three reasons. They were lowly sinners. They were chosen servants who took care of sheep. This is an amazing story, but I don't want to end without considering how we might be changed having heard the scriptures explained to us tonight. First, in terms of the identity of the shepherds as lowly sinners, if you wish to find your part in the good news of God's plan for the world, do you know it begins by acknowledging that you are a lowly sinner? There's a story in the Gospels where two men were in the temple and one was up close right, right where the action was and he was proud of all he had done for God and he had considered his life very carefully and found that the, the, his resume, his spiritual or religious resume was quite, quite impressive. And he proceeded to tick off before God all the things that he had accomplished. And lest you think that this is a ridiculous thing to do, ask yourself, on what basis do you think God might regard you as worthy to enter his holy heaven? What have you done for God? How would you answer that question? Well, in the parable that Jesus told, there's the other man in the the temple who stands at the back and beats his breast and hangs his head and says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. The sinner, it's the the sinner. And that's become a cry for all the faithful ever since when we recognize our sin, we recognize our need for the Savior. You see, the good news is set in contrast to the bad news. It's good in light of the backdrop of the bad. It's, it's a resplendent diamond on a black velvet carpet. It's light piercing the darkness. It's a splash of color on a gray, cloudy day. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If and if anyone would open the door, I will enter in and dine with him and he with me. This Jesus, our shepherd king, invites you to the feast as his friends if you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners. A second application would be this. In terms of being his chosen servants, it is important to realize that the message for Christmas is not about an earthly peace, though we are right to work for such. The peace of Christmas is first and foremost on and with those of God's choosing, those whom God has elected, chosen, and called to himself. There is no peace at Christmas, in other words, apart from God's sovereign, particular grace. God's love conquers our unbelief. God's sent his son to pay the penalty for your and my sin, not just for sin in general, but your sin has been paid for on the cross. 
This is a great encouragement because if God's choosing proceeds according to his sovereign plan, as I say it does, you can be assured that he has chosen you for a purpose. His plan includes having a relationship with you, and therefore nothing can ever separate you from God's love. This is a strong choice. In choosing you to be his servant, he has chosen you to be someone he loves and in whom he delights from now unto eternity. And finally, taking care of sheep. I think you can learn from the shepherds and their vocation as you think about your own calling. If you're a parent, your calling is to shepherd your children, not to harass them, not to abuse them, not to bully them, but to teach them and to care for them, to correct them when they wander and go astray, but to do so in love and humility as the Lord himself cares for you. He has shown you mercy. Will you show mercy to your children? He has forgiven you of your sins. Will you forgive the sins of your children? I think it also applies to pastors and church leaders. The congregation that you lead or wherever your ministry responsibility is includes protecting the found, those who are saved and chosen. But it also means leaving the flock and going after the one who has gone astray, the one who's wandered from the path. Church, you see, is not a show. It's not a game. It's not a club. It's a society of redeemed sinners saved by grace who love one another into the fold and keep an eye on one another so that we will walk perseveringly all the way to the rest which he has promised. And then I think there's a word here for all Christians. We're all called to love one another and to be involved in one another's lives. This is not merely in the this is not merely by the text, though it can include that, texting one another, encouraging each other by text. It's not just on Sundays, though it should include that. This is the daily give and take of our lives. Are you available for others if this is your church in the day-to-day? Are you present in the lives of others besides your, your nuclear family on an odd day? Do people call you for help? Do they know you're available? Have you made yourselves available? You see, we're to shepherd one another. We're to care for one another. We're to love one another. We're to ask for help. Are you, you too proud or too humble to ask for help? Or do you recognize as a sheep that without other, without other sheep and other shepherds around you, you will go astray all too easily? Do your church leaders know when you're missing? Is someone praying for you tonight? Does someone know your deepest needs? Are they interceding before the great shepherd for the needs that you might have? Are you praying for anyone? Do you have a prayer list? Are you shepherding a flock of people as you look down this list and thinking specifically of specific names? You know, he knows your name. What is church if you're not involved in that way in other people's lives as well? In the end, why God chose the shepherds on a winter night in Jerusalem out in the fields to make an announcement of his son's birth, that will remain a mystery. We will probably not fully understand this until glory, but for now we can say this. He chose them as his servants, knowing that they were lowly sinners, that they might proclaim the good news, which brings great joy to all the people. A message that sinners just as they are continue to proclaim, even to this very day, good news, Jesus Christ is born. Amen.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of Scripture and the opportunity we've had to to learn and consider what you have to say to us. I do pray in particular this, this application about inviting you into our lives, that there would not be one person tonight who would leave this moment, this pregnant moment, if you will, of inviting you to be the Lord and Savior, turning aside from our sin, not by our own strength, but by your sovereign love and power, trusting and believing that you alone are able to triumph over all things, and knowing that you will love us as we put our faith in you to the very end, such that nothing could ever separate us from that love. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.